there was this opportunity and I couldn't let it go by. And I trusted myself enough to know that I could figure out how to deliver, even if it was out of my comfort zone. And that moment, we all experience that in our lives. And it's about deciding to say yes, instead of saying no at that moment to yourself. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Dalebout. I'm going to keep this intro very tight and get to our episode with Ellen Bennett, who is the founder and CEO of Headley and Bennett, an apron and workwear company whose signature Amberstand logo you can see on top chefs around the world. You'll hear all about her background being from LA and her Mexican mother and her strong connection to Mexico and she ends up moving there when she was 18 and we talked today about what prompted her to get into having a workwear company going from a line cook at 24 to outfitting some of the top chefs and we talk about productivity and self-care and process and time management and she gives the best dinner party and hosting advice that I've ever heard in my life so This is my conversation with Ellen Bennett. But first, I just want to thank everyone who sent me a nice note or reposted last week's episode or listened to last week's episode. It's 10 seasons of this show. I started it when I was 22 years old in Michigan from my little studio apartment and I'm still doing it and I can't believe it. It's moved several cities I am now 31 and it's still to this day the greatest thing that I've ever done. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, I had three people on who are podcast listeners who became creative consulting clients of mine that I worked with one-on-one years ago and we've kept in touch and now I'm doing creative consulting again and I have a couple spots left if you are curious and want to know what working with me one-on-one is like book a session I'll put the link in the show notes it's a place to go if you want a little bit of support in your life maybe you're in a time of transition or uncertainty or moving out of a relationship or beginning a new creative project or you have an idea for a creative project or you're starting a new job or you're moving cities all things that I've done so many times and I'm not an expert in, but as Eva said last week, sometimes the best person to talk to when you're in one of those moments isn't someone super ahead and way far beyond where you are, just someone a couple steps, maybe one step ahead who can be like, I'm right here, watch out for that rock. And I would love to work with you and and talk to you about potentially helping you develop habits and routines with very gentle accountability. Maybe you're in a rut personally or creatively and you need help moving through some blocks, but I would love to chat with you. So the link is in the show notes. If you want to know more about that, listen to last week's episode because I really get into my consulting philosophy, which is really gentle and helps highlight where you're most lit up and what you want to do 
creatively and personally from that place. And I help you craft a plan to move forward in that direction and hold your hand while you're in process, because I believe that everybody is in process all the time. So we do this through tailored journaling prompts that connect you to your intuition and homework activities. And I really love it. I love working with people and talking to people and getting to know people. And I would love to get to know you, people who listen to the podcast. No pressure if you want to talk to me. I think there's only like two or three more spots left, but book one. The link is in the show notes and enjoy my conversation with Ellen. I will chat with you at the end. Well, thank you so much for being here. How's your day going? My day is going pretty good. It's been a crazy week, a crazy month, a crazy year with the book launch and running a company and coming out of COVID. Like, wow, how many, how many more changes do we want to throw into this? to the universe. Yeah, I bet crazy several years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I feel very lucky every day that I wake up. I'm like, all right, new adventure. Let's freaking do this. Yeah, yeah. And you're in Echo Park, right? Yep, I'm in LA. Where are you? I'm also not in Echo Park. I'm in Highland Park. I just oh, moved here from local, New York. A, a neighboring park. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and I always, when you talk about being from Glendale, I'm like, oh, I know where that is. I'm 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 like driving through there all the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, Glendale. <laughs> well, congratulations on the new book. It is so great. I, I'm really, really happy that it exists. How does it feel having it out in the world? It's really special. You know, I have wanted to put the journey of building something out of nothing into a thing that people could take away that was like tactile and they could have it there for pep talks and inspiration and just like the boost that people need sometimes. And so to see it and hold it in my hand after having spent three years writing it was just really so special. I like sobbed my eyes out when I finally got the hardcover in my hands because it's just three years to write it close to nine years, having Headley and Bennett uh, since inception. And so it's been a long journey and I'm, I'm so just honored to be able to share it with others. Three years to write it. I didn't realize that. I'm curious yeah. what the process was like for this book because you aren't, you know, exclusively writing. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that too. Usually- <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you had to yeah, run your I'm business. Alive and I'm still on the journey. Yeah. yeah, but you had to do so much during the process. So I'm curious, did you have any habits or routines for writing the book on top of all the responsibilities you have with your company? I'm curious how you carved out time for it and what your writing process was like. Yeah, I was really fortunate to have an incredible writing partner. So I had a, a ghostwriter and the way that what that means is that her and I would meet weekly and I would talk and I would say the stories and the experiences she'd write it down and form it into like paragraphs. And then I would go through and then edit it to make it be even more like my voice and and the way my style of talking. And it was such a collaborative effort because then our editor, Leah also would literally edit it. And so you had like three editors on it. My, my husband, who's been a part of the entire Headley and Bennett journey would also edit it. So it was just like the four of us just going at it. And then our, my agent, Nicole also would get in there. And so we really wanted it to be this kind of guide 
for like a recipe book for how to make dreams happen, but not so much. Here's the ABC steps, but more like, here's the attitude that you need. And then here's real life examples of stuff so that it felt real. It was because it is real. And, and I, when I started Headley Minute nine years ago, I wish a book had existed like this that was colorful and lively, but also brutally honest about the journey ahead for a founder or anybody that wants to make a leap from one area to another. It could be taking a different job. It could be asking for a job. It could be moving to another country. But that leaping moment is really scary. And yet it's so necessary. And yeah, so it took many, many, many iterations to get it to where we wanted to get to. And I don't know if you have like a copy of it in front of you, but the inside is incredibly visual. Yeah, it's so visual. Yeah. So it's like one of the first books that Penguin Random House actually did color on the inside. And I wanted it to be colorful because business is not black and white. So why the hell are the business books black and white? They should be rainbow fluorescent because that is what it's like to run a company and start something from nothing. Yeah, it's interesting when when the book came to me, I love when a project feels like the inside of someone's brain and when I opened this book and found you on Instagram and read about you more and listened to you on other podcasts, it all felt as I was reading it like a true authentic reflection of you and it's really interesting to hear the process of that because it seems like you're someone who's very good at speaking extemporaneously on a topic, at storytelling, at essentially hosting and bringing people together, which really, as I read the book and I've heard more about your story, sounds like you know that's what has built your company and your life is your ability to create relationships and treat people with kindness and respect. And that has, you know, that's not lost on you. And that was really captured in the pages of these books. And then also like your your spirit and your aesthetic. And I believe you read the audiobook, right? Yeah, I did the whole audiobook, which was me really being excited to get to yell and cheer people on from their cars. And uh, it was awesome. It was also the first time I actually read the book from start to finish after having turned it in was pretty cathartic to to get to feel that here's the full kit and caboodle like your whole child together in yeah. one one hit it was it was really special too yeah and it's it's such a interesting moment to to see your book like i remember getting the first copy and it's really jarring to have spent so much time on a, on a project and then have it out in the world and you want it to reflect you because I always say this with my book came out in 2016 and you, you know, it's very 2016, like I'm wearing a, a flower crown, you know, but, <laughs> and you can't change the cover. It's not like a blog post or something, Yeah, but yeah. it's so who I was then, you know? Yeah. And I think that this book for you, it, it, I really loved it. And it was that, you know, my friend Sophie says this thing, she actually works in the restaurant industry. So it's fitting that I'm bringing her up. But she says this line that I think of all the time, which is protect yourself from your own mind. And I felt like reading this book and listening to you speak feels like 
the opposite of the the mean voice that we all have in our minds that we need to protect ourselves from, you know, yeah. it's the cheerleader. And there's something really helpful about that. And and I think the more of that, the better. And, and you just did such a tremendous job cheerleading people on in your work. And that's what your social media does. And that's what your spirit does. And, and I think that's, that's really cool. Thank you. That, that means a lot. I really appreciate that. And I, I do genuinely want people to take this book and use it as a weapon against themselves to just get out of your own way and to begin and get on the damn journey because there's just so much you learn when you are doing the work and showing up and trying and failing versus overthinking about every single detail and where will something land? And well, what will people think about that? It's like, well, why don't you try it and put yourself out there and then listen and be willing to listen and adapt based on that. And it goes back to like my very first order with Headley and Bennett, which is the opening pair, you know, the opening section of the book where I talk about how my chef said, Hey, there's a girl, she's going to make us aprons. Do you want to buy one? And I was like, I blurted out before I could even realize what I was doing. I was like, chef, I have an apron company. How will make you those aprons? And I had literally nothing, but there was this opportunity and I couldn't let it go by. And I trusted myself enough to know that I could figure out how to deliver, even if it was out of my comfort zone. And that moment, we all experience that in our lives. And it's about deciding to say yes, instead of saying no at that moment to yourself. Yeah. Before we go back and hear about a lot of the stories in the book and what it's been like to have it released now and during a pandemic, I'm curious what's present for you today? What have you been learning and contemplating lately or recently? Really timely question considering the pandemic is feels like it's coming to a close. I think for me, COVID was a very big inflection point of a lot of things I had already been thinking about pre-COVID, which was how do I show up differently? How do I show up better? You know, I talk about really in a very honest way towards the end of the book, you got to get off the bike to fix the bike. And this moment where my team kind of flags to me like, hey, you can do something different here. How can we show up differently? And being able to recognize when something's not working and just let it go, let those old habits die and try again and be willing to say, I was wrong. I need to do this different. And COVID was like one big giant year of that, I think for a lot of people. And for me, it was like the playbook of our business kind of got lit on fire and thrown out the window when the shutdown happened. And I pivoted the entire organization into making face masks um, while obviously still maintaining our, our core apron and kitchen gear business, but we had a factory in LA and there was no way I couldn't just like go home and stick my head in the sand. I needed to like show up for our community. And so that, that just kind of thinking in bigger, grander terms, like community oriented has always been something I've been, but I've always been looking up the mountain to where I'm running. And I didn't take as much time to look left and look right and make sure that everybody on the team was running up with me and that they had the tools they needed. And so it was a big year of just like recognition that if your team doesn't have what they need, then like everything else doesn't actually work because you can't do it alone. And also recognizing that I can't do things alone and therefore a team 
with you is like so important and you need to take care of that team in a way that's not just like, here's a 401k and here's healthcare and here's this and here's that, which is kind of how I thought I could take care of them. It's really like learning to listen to them and how do I help them and all that sort of, I guess you could call it more of the like squishy stuff. That's hard when you're just like a line cook that turned a company into a company with no money. And so that's been a really big, very tumultuous journey for me to uh, go from that to where I am now. And and now we have an incredible team that has lots of different diversity in, in their backgrounds and they are different than me. And like, I am a dreamer and they are the details and together we kind of complete each other. Whereas before it was like, I had all of these dreams and then we were not focused on the details as much as we needed to. Yeah. So with that, what have you learned or a greatest lesson on managing and hiring and leading? Just, you can't do it all yourself. (laughs) That's a big one. The name of the chapter is you got to get off the bike to fix the bike. Sometimes you just need to pause and actually reassess something and say, I, I got to do this better. There's got to be a different way. And that takes, you know, humility and willingness to look, look a problem in the eye and just say, I'm going to try something new. And we have a leadership coach that works with us with like basically all the leaders in my organization. And she's very candid with us. And it's not about being emotional and like, woe is me. I did this wrong. It's like, okay, recognizing you did something wrong and what are you going to do about it now to get better in the future? And that's a very objective stance versus like pelting yourself for having done something not as ideally as you could. Like we are human. We all have an opportunity to, to get better, better and we should just try to constantly get better. And so We've built these like really great values around the organization now that we had never really had. And it's like, okay, show up, make magic, you know, never stop improving. And when we hire people, we are looking for people that have that same no ego mentality, always willing to learn, always willing to adapt. And that really helps us get the right people on the bandwagon. Mm. Speaking of people that you work with, I heard you talk about interviewing and hiring and you said you don't need to talk about what school you went to that's on your resume. And the way you spoke about hiring, what have you learned about finding the people that are correct for elevating your work and business in the way that you need? I definitely hire for people's like willingness and desire and their own entrepreneurial spirit. For example, my old chef that I worked at when I was a line cook, he took one of our dishwashers and he made them the fishmonger. So that's like the person that cuts all the fish and prepares it into sashimi. And it's a very celebrated role in that restaurant because it's, you know, it's a seafood heavy place and everything is flown in from Japan. So it's just like, glorious thousand dollar pieces of fish and you just can't mess it up. And he saw this hustle and drive and willingness to just learn from this amazing dishwasher. And he became, he's like the guy now at Providence, which is a two Michelin star restaurant. And that perspective, I think is really powerful and impacted me a lot. And so I think when we're looking for people 
experience is one thing, but if experience clouds you from seeing a new way in the future, experience is actually not good. Because when you don't know what you don't know, sometimes it's awesome because you're willing to try and you're willing to show up and do things that other people might say, "Mm, no, that doesn't work. We don't worry too much about experience, but we more look for people that, as I said, don't have an ego. The first thing out of their in the conversation is not like, I spent nine years at Harvard. I don't actually want to know that. I don't want to know what your CSAT score is. I want to know, are you willing to show up and learn? Are you willing to make mistakes? Are you willing to fail and not take it personally and then get back up and try a different route? Because that is what business is. It's a series of trial and error and learnings and failures and learnings and successes And you just have to really beat that drum and be okay with the uncomfortableness of it. So we look for people that are totally 100% down and willing, and then that that they can have honest, candid conversations if something's not right. Come to your manager, talk to your manager directly and say, hey, this part isn't working. I think we can do it a different way instead of being like, I'm mad, I'm leaving, right? Mm -hmm. So really looking for that, that sort of bit is, I think, really important for our team. Right. And you can't teach that, you know, there's no, no, it's a, it's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a way of thinking. And, you know, we do have a really diverse blend of, we have people that are, you know, used to be sewers and are now on our shipping department and didn't go to college. And then we, we do have people that went to Stanford, but no one talks about it. No one, nobody makes anybody feel less because of the school they went to or didn't go to. I mean, I went to culinary school. I don't have an MBA. I didn't have a trust fund to do all of this. So like, there's no judgment within our organization about what your background is. It's more like, can you show up and help get the job done? And are you going to be a valuable team member to the rest of the crew? And if you're not, that's okay too. That was another humongous lesson I learned of it's okay when people get off the bus. A business is like a bus and it's on a journey and people are going to get off the bus and they're going to get on the bus. And there's lots of different stops along the way. And you just got to be okay with that mm-hmm. and not feel bad or make them feel bad. Nobody should feel bad. It's simply like, okay, this is the end of the road for us right now. Kill it out there. Godspeed. And yeah. That just wasn't always the perspective. It was like, oh my God, how are we going to live without them? How am I going to do it? Why are they leaving? La, 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 la. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so human and and it's a, it's a real mindset shift that can make things more productive. And I think you, you know, you come from a, a background where it seems like you have grit and you talk about, even when you didn't know it, you were doing, this is one of my favorite anecdotes that you were trying hard. And when you're trying hard, people notice and people notice when you care. And that's something that, that you can't teach. And you tell this story about when you were working at, I believe it was Providence and being at a Michelin starred restaurant. And you, when you didn't know what to do, you would clean and you would clean really well. Can you talk about that? I loved that. And can you talk about that time in your life? Yeah. It was one of these things where I wanted to make myself useful. I wanted to be a valuable team member and I didn't want to have my hands idle. And so what I would do, because I was surrounded by these incredible chefs, I would just clean around them so that I could then watch what they were doing. 
and not be in the way. Because if you were cleaning, you were helping. And if you were helping, then you were contributing and you weren't just like, oh, how do you do that? Can you show me? It was, it was a little bit more like self-sufficient. And then when they were doing it again, I would actually leap in and move that one thing that they had already done before. And then I would go do it for them. So maybe the herbs always came out with one particular dish. And so if I heard a dish get called out, I'd put the cleaning supplies, like put the broom down, go wash my hands and like run back and grab the herbs that I knew he was about to go and get himself. And that made people notice. And that made them go like, oh, wow, she's got emotional intelligence. She's observing, she's seeing what's happening around her. And she's willing to like jump in and and help without people asking her to help. And that's a tremendous quality that I look for in people that we're hiring too. It's like, are you self-driven to just show up and figure things out and learn from people around you? And there's nothing wrong with it, right? It's like, I started from, I started from zero. I was a $10 an hour line cook, but I knew that the experience I would get in that restaurant was going to be so pivotal to my future career in restaurants that it didn't matter to me. I was there for the, for the learning of it. So I was willing to do anything. And ironically, I didn't end up doing restaurants. I ended up starting an apron and kitchen gear brand, but that's kind of part of the journey too. You, once you get on the road, you realize that certain things are not what you thought they were and you can change your mind and people can change their minds and that is okay. And I changed my mind. I decided I don't want to actually own a restaurant. This is not the thing that I thought it was. And somewhere along there, the idea of Headland Bennett came along and then I went on that adventure. Yeah, I think it's about being a self-starter and it's it really goes back to being present. You know, I think everything does. And yeah. I, most of my work is solo and I do it alone. And I, a couple months ago, I started working one day a week in my friend's shop in my neighborhood. It's a wine and snacks shop. And whenever one of the owners is there, I had an interesting experience because I'm I'm new to something like this. And I when I come over to someone's house for like a dinner party, I'm like, how can I help? Let me roll up my sleeves or let me do the dishes or whatever. And you know, that just comes from like similar to you and you're differently, but similarly with my background of just, that's how I grew up in the Midwest and single mom yep. and the whole thing. But what I said to, to one of the owners was like, how can I help? And that was a prohibitive question. Like that was mm-hmm. not the question. Like just start helping. Yeah, so, exactly. Giving her a, a job for you is creating more work and you're totally. in the way. And I I learned that lesson as a as a grown-up person. I get like, or I was reminded of that lesson because I'd been so out of practice with collaborating with people in that sort of a way. Yeah. That it, you know, it's a really interesting experience. And I I really loved that particular antidote. What's really interesting is once I started the company, I really tried to focus on like what I had and not what I didn't have. And so I took the little resources that I did have at my disposal, which frankly, a lot of it was just myself, right? Like what skills do I have that I can offer people? And I offered in a bartering fashion, I offered cooking to people that I needed something from. So I would say like, Hey, I needed to get a pattern can I come cook for you? I will come and cook for you. Like I offered the solution and the benefit. And I said, I will come cook for you. If you can help me with this pattern, 
what do you think? And they knew it's like, okay, she's working at Providence. Like that's rad. That's an expensive meal. I want that. It's a benefit to them. Just like cleaning was a benefit to my team members at Providence. And so you just kind of outshine them with your helpfulness and then they're willing to help you too. Yeah. And it's not manipulative. It's like, you're just genuine. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's what's so cool. And it, my favorite, one of my favorite stories is about your grandma and how she treated everyone the same and with care and attention, whether they owed her money because she was an entrepreneur herself. And I love that. And I believe that treating everyone the same and making people feel special and important and seen and recognized is so important and can only lead to good. Can you talk about that and how watching your grandma interact with people informed you and how you interact in your business and in your life? Yeah, no, definitely. So my, my grandma was my abuelita. I'm, I'm half Mexican, half English. And so I spent a lot of time going to Mexico when I was younger and I would go with her as she would sell clothes kind of door to door to people that she knew in the like neighboring neighborhoods. And this was back in the day when clothes from the United States were hard to come by in Mexico. So anybody that would go to the other side, as they like to call it, she would call it the other side. She's like, we're going to go to the other side and we're going to get clothes. And she would bring them back to her hometown, Tampico, where she lived and she would sell them. And I would come with her and I just watched her go house by house. And everybody greeted her with such enthusiasm because she was friendly. She literally never spoke negatively of anyone. And yet everybody shared everything with her because she was friendly and they would serve her food. If she wanted it, I was there. I was in the kitchen half the time. I was like five or six years old, just being like, what are you guys eating? I want some. And she would carry around this little notebook where she wrote down all the amounts of money that people owed her. And so people would say, well, here's 10 pesos this week, or I'm going to give you 25 and here's 50. And then she'd be like, okay, perfect. And she's like, look at these great little cute outfits. I just got, I just picked them up. They're so fun. And she was so enthusiastic, but in that humble enthusiasm way that I talk about in the book. So she was excited to share, but she was also willing to listen. And people would say, you know, my sister is about to have a baby. If you ever see anything like this, it'd be so great if you brought some. And so she was constantly kind of hearing people's needs and adapting to it and not making anybody feel bad because somebody owed her money or somebody didn't, or one person bought one thing while the next house bought 10 things. And there's a real beauty to that because it was honest, it was genuine, and people loved her for it. And it It was all about how she made people feel. It wasn't a transaction. No one ever felt like this lady is here to to make me buy clothes from her. They were like, oh my God, she's awesome. I love her. And she also is helping me because she's bringing me something that I genuinely need for my family. Yeah, that's the exact piece of not making people feel like a transaction. I wrote that down as well. And it seems like you've done this because you mentioned it throughout the book, the genuine relationship building and how that takes time and you can't force that. And you give this example of like how someone at AT AT&T makes you feel like a transaction where if you're calling for a customer service thing where someone at your local coffee shop, you have a genuine conversation with and that's connection. And I think that's what we're all so starved for. Totally. 
it's exactly what we're starved for. And when you interact with a business, you want to know that they care about you, not just because you're about to do something, but because they believe in what you're doing, you believe in what they're doing, and there's some sort of connection. And it's been, I have to say, it's been really tough for me being such a old school girl of wanting to like, you know, handshakes and meet with people in face to face. It's been wild not being able to do that for an entire year and kind of translating that into the digital space and Instagram and TikTok to still have these connections with people, but nothing beats human interaction and nothing beats actually making people feel like they matter versus just like, Hey, I need something from you. And so I, I do, I do get into it a lot in the book. And I think it's important when somebody is starting out, you should not just go try and sell things to people. You need to actually be interested in them and hear about what they're up to and what they're doing. And you can share what you're doing if it makes sense. But don't expect that person to drop everything and buy something from you in that moment. Like I've been in the company now for, I've had it for nine years. And there's people that I met in year one that didn't buy something from me for several years. But when they did, they were excited to reach out to me because they finally had an opportunity to do something with me because we had already created a friendship and a relationship first. And that is building a brand in a community with like real backbone versus just, Hey, here's a product, go buy it. That's like, we're not a bank. We're not home Depot. That that's not what we're doing. We're going for the long haul here. There was something about COVID for me that, especially at the beginning, like I felt like all of our humanity was really prevalent of like, oh, wow, this person doesn't usually call me in the middle of the day, but I'm going to pick up because it's an emergency. Everything's an emergency. You know, like there was a wildness to it that you were able to see people in, you know, and that happened, of course, when like everyone worked from home, but it was just this like human aspect of it. And I think that that you and I seem to be people who are aware of that. I think everyone is, but it's so easy to forget. And I liked how in the book, you know, you like mentioned people by name and like you mentioned someone who my friend had like entered, I met in the line at cookbook once and I was like, oh, it's that guy, the general store. And like, you really like could tell that you've like had these people on your path that have helped you and you remember and you acknowledged in the book. And it made me think about my own life and the people who have done that for me and the people that I've done that for. And just knowing that like, this is a team effort being a person and trying to start something. And, and also like you can't control it and you can't force it. And a a big lesson I've learned recently is that with friendship, especially it can't be forced and it can't be rushed. And when you try, when I try to do those things, it doesn't go well. (laughs) Totally. No, it's so, so true. Yeah. It has to come from a genuine place or else it just translates as not real. And people know that and they feel it and it's just not good. So really just start, start from a place of like, cool, this person is awesome. But first and foremost, they're a human. They're not just like somebody that's going to buy something from me at some point in the future. And if they need something from me, they're going to come and they're going to ask for it. I don't need to like shove it down their throat. And I used to run every department in the entire organization 
include and do all the jobs myself. And I remember with our early team, they would be like, cool. How's it going? Hi, I'm from Headley and Bennett. And they go right into like selling the product. And I was like, guys, no, nobody. I would always just say to them, nobody wants to feel like a transaction. You're there to listen and hear, but really listen to what they're looking for and what their problem is. And then we need to decide if we can help them or not and tell them like, oh, actually, this is the thing that you can, that would be perfect for you. Like, oh, they want to fix their brand. They want to have something more colorful. They want to change the way their team looks or feels like whatever that symptom is, you're there to fix it and help them, but not like force things on them. So that's another just slice of this adventure. Yeah. Anything forced always backfires. It's always patience. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally, totally. The title dream first details later is such a good mantra and, and words to live by. Can you talk about a recent way that you've embodied that? Oh, such a good question. I would say as the company has evolved post COVID, right? Like pre COVID, we were selling half to restaurants, half to online. So we were direct to consumer, but also direct to to chefs. And post COVID, it's much more heavy on the direct to consumer side. And one of the things that I've really had to kind of dream first details later on with that is just the next big dreams for the company, like not getting too lost in the details of, well, what is the market size and which channel are we going to go after? It's like a, I always tell myself like it's, it's art and it's science. And so you, you need the process, right? The details later, but you also need the dream that plants the seed. And as we are planting these seeds of dreams about where Headley and Bennett will go in 2024, 2025, there's a lot that you can kind of get hampered down in trying to analyze. And so I have to force myself to zoom out of it because my team is super details oriented. And I'm like, wait, 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 guys, just big picture. This is what I want us to do. And so we've really been working on that as a team of like, how do we balance that art and science? And I'm definitely the the art side of the house for sure. So that's where my, my dream first details later really comes out in full force. And my team also will just, will be in meetings. They're like, all right, dream first details later. Let's just do it. Let's go. (laughs) Like it, it kind of means like, stop talking about it. Start getting to it. It's action. Yeah. Yeah. I knew someone who said, don't talk about it, be about it. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yes. I get caught, yeah, in the talking about it. And I think we all can go in and out of that. No sponsor this week, but if you want to support this show, it would be great if you could leave a review and tell a friend. We want to keep doing it. And by we, I mostly mean me. There are some other people who help me with this show, but I really love hosting this podcast, getting to talk to people. So I'd love to hear from you. If you can leave a review, let me know your feedback on Instagram, follow Let It Out with three T's on Instagram. And I would love to just 
hear from you in any way that felt good. So feel free to leave a review. Feel free to follow the Instagram. Those things really help a lot. Support our past sponsors. There's no sponsor this week. And, you know, we're moving through a lot of transitions with the show. And I hope that I can keep doing it. And if you want to know more about working with me, of course, through one-on-one or Creative Underdogs, which I'm renaming to In Process, you can. (laughs) The link to all of that will be in the show notes. And again, I'm really grateful that you're here and listening and back to my conversation with Ellen. You started working in food. So I'm curious when the seed was planted for you with food and hosting and this piece of connection. And I'm, I'm curious, was it during your time with your grandma in Mexico? Totally. It was, it was with every grandma I ever saw or spent time with. Uh, It was at my friend's houses when I was coming over for dinner and I wanted to see what the, what the moms were making. And so our friends would be running around whatever outside and be like, what are you cooking? How did you make that? What did you add to it? Ooh, what's that flavor? And I was really very curious, George. And I think food is like so amazing that you can take an ingredient like a tomato and turn it into something radically different that doesn't even look like a tomato anymore. And that is, it's so tangible. This idea, it's like my favorite part of being an entrepreneur is seeing something in your head and then seeing it come to life. That transition from dream to reality is really cool. And it's food. Food is the easiest way to do that. So it definitely started there. And I just never stopped digging into it. And then when I moved to Mexico, when I was 18, 19, I got to learn everything that there was about food. And it was just like, oh my God, this is so awesome that you can actually build a world and a career around food. So yeah, I'm definitely a big eater, a big maker of dishes. I love that. In the book, you talk about mistakes vulnerably and learning from them. Can you talk about how saying yes early on in the beginning was harmful and and what you learned from that saying yes too much? Yeah. I'm glad I said yes to so many things, but in retrospect, yes, it definitely had its, had its harmful bits. There was a lot of opportunity coming our way where people would say like, Ooh, we want to do an event together or let's do a collaboration or how about we host something at your factory or come here and be a part of this. And I would just literally say yes to everything because I couldn't believe that people wanted to do things with us at the very beginning. And I was so excited to just collaborate. And it got to a place where I realized that in some situations, we were organizing, leading, bringing the ideas, bringing the firepower, executing, and they were kind of like just coming along for the ride. And one of the chapters in the book, I talk a lot about collaborations and how, you know, both sides of the table need to bring something different to whatever is being done, whether it's an event or a dinner or a collab product, you have to show up and deliver something so that it's mutually beneficial to both sides. You're both helping in some way. And I wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't done these different things where I'd show up and do something and then realize like, man, we did all the heavy lifting and nobody else did because they just saw our like chutzpah and willingness. And they just were like, cool, they're doing it. They're taking care of it. They're scheduling, they're inviting people. They're going to hustle it from start to finish. So we'll just let them do it. And after a while, I started thinking about like, 
this is many, it took me many years to come to this conclusion, but just the value versus the effort, right? Like how much value were we going to get out of something versus the effort it was going to take to execute on something. And it was pretty dramatic at times, how little value and how much effort it actually took. And so I started realizing that I was stretching myself and my team in ways that were not actually productive and they weren't helping the company move the ship forward. They were just shiny things along the journey. So Mm -hmm. saying no to stuff and focusing on the actual goals at hand was a big giant change for us instead of wanting to dance at everybody's wedding, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. I relate to that a little bit in work of I've been doing this podcast since 2013. And I remember the first time someone asked to be on it or a publicist reached out or something, I was just like, yes, absolutely. And those conversations were never as good as the ones that I reached out to. And more than with work for me, I struggle with this in my personal life. I have this tendency towards overwhelm and overfilling my schedule. Mm -hmm. And you seem very clear and structured, but do you ever struggle with that in your personal life or? Okay. (laughs) No, I have, I have so many to-do lists and I, I think I've uh, put some, I put some mechanisms in place. Oh, great. Tell me about the mechanism. I was going to ask you for (laughs) advice. (laughs) Well, one of them is called Elliot, my fantastic right arm who I've said, like, I have to have a buffer between meetings and we use Google calendar pretty religiously, but I used to stack that schedule. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Make it work, squeeze it in. It'll be fine. And I found myself running from meeting to meeting to meeting with literally no time between them. It'd be like zoom call from 12 to one in person, all hands meeting with your entire company, one to two, like that's insanity. How are you going to prep from one meeting to the next with no time in between and then no time for lunch, no time for anything. So creating buffers because I realized that I was kind of like burning on both ends and I needed, I needed actually time to recap what happened in that meeting, what needs to be done, what are next steps so that it becomes actionable and you don't just have a meeting about a meeting. So that was one part. Also, COVID made me realize too that working 979 hours a day is is not actually long-term success. Like that's not sustainable. And I don't love the the term work-life balance because I think it means so many different things to so many people. The way I think of it is like, you have to find a synergy. It's you're looking for synergies between your personal and your and your work. And how do you create synergies? And so for me, it's like, all right, well, if I'm going to go out to dinner, instead of going out to dinner seven nights a week, like I did pre-COVID for events and whatever, it's like, okay, you have a three night out cap. And once it's at three, like you need to just rein it in and wait till the next week. Cause you actually need to take a beat. You need to take a bath. You need to take a shower. You need to go for a walk. You need to be human for a second. And that is hard for me. And and it sounds like for you too, where you're just like, okay, I'm just going to, I've got one more time. I got one more second. It's a constant reset is what it is. Reminding yourself that you do that and just being like, oh, I'm off track. Let's refocus here. 
Yeah. I'm really having a, a week of it. Like I used to live like that in New York where it was like, cool, your brother's friends thing in Harlem. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm there. And then I'm going to get drinks and I'm doing the thing. And, and then when I moved here and it was COVID, it was so different. But now this week I am feeling so stretched and pulled in different directions socially that it's really challenging for me to say no, because I'm equally starved for it, but I need to develop more, like manage my energy by yeah. saying no so I can be there and not feel like afterwards I have to send a text and be like, I'm so sorry. I was so out of it the other night because I was like really stressed and, you know, yeah, I wasn't able tired to or whatever. Or, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. like on me as a grown up to be able to manage and know, or what I'm finding is like, I'm showing up okay as a friend, hopefully, but yeah. then my work is like, I'm like not doing anything and I'm behind and I'm not, you know, I'm, it's like hard to balance all the different buckets. Totally. Yep. No, you gotta, you are the like driver of your own car, right. In your life. And so you got to be the one to say, Hey, this is not, I'm not feeling good. I need to do something different. And that's mm-hmm. self-awareness is it's going to have to come from, from ourselves. And I, I do think we are all kind of feeling that same feeling of like, oh my God, we've all been locked up for a year and now the world's opening up. Let's jam it all in. But we cannot forget all the learnings we had from last year. And some of them is just like taking pause and actually reflecting on like, do you really need to go to your friend, to your brother's friend's event in Harlem? Right. <laughs> Probably not. What, you know, do you need to do that? Is it going to help you as a human at this time when you have all these other commitments? Probably not. And so just like that (laughs) line I say, which is I, I wanted to dance at everyone's wedding. Now I'm like, okay, fine. I can't dance at everybody's wedding. I'm just going to have to sit this one out. Yeah. And I think it's, there's a sadness to not being able to do everything and having to choose and having to manage that. And also it's, you know, sometimes you'll feel like you got it correct and you definitely made the correct choice. And sometimes I feel like, oh man, I, I really wish I would have been able to do that. And I wasn't yeah. because I didn't get everything done before. And it's just, you know, it's something that I'm constantly working on. And I think, you know, we all are, and maybe it's just a bit more intense right now. Yeah, it is. It is. But we just really need to remember everything that we learned last year. Yeah. That's um, such a good point. We, we cannot forget all the incredibly hard lessons we learned about, you know, how to, how to take care of ourselves and where our priorities lie. And for me, I, I really did recognize that I was not spending enough time taking care of myself or eating enough and, and doing the things that I needed to do to just be like good on, on a human level. And I'm constantly now like, oh, no, Ellen, no. Nope. You've got to eat better than that. Nope. You're not going to hang out that night that late or I will schedule dinners now at five 30 or six versus like eight or nine, because I know if I do an eight o'clock dinner, I'm going to be home by midnight and then I'm going to be exhausted the next day. And then I'm not going to be productive. And then I'm going to feel bad about it and blah, blah, blah. So just being aware. Yeah. You mentioned in the subtitle of the book, it has the word overthinking. And I think in that context, it's like, stop overthinking and make your idea happen, which I think is so beautiful. But I'm curious, similarly with what we were talking about with overwhelm, are you an overthinker in other areas of your life outside of creativity and business? 
Mm, good question. I'm trying, I'm like going through my mental Rolodex, <laughs> my other worlds. I think that I don't overthink things too much, but because I like to do so many things, I will sign up for a lot of activities. And then that ends up being not as conducive to productivity because I'm, I'm like, I, I'm going to learn how to play the piano and I'm going to join a swim team and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to run this marathon. And that's a lot. And so just kind of, it's not okay. It's not great, but I am learning to trim the amount of things that I do. So the ones that I do, I do better. And that I've actually learned from my super science side of the house, meaning at my office, I, I call myself the art side. And then all of my, my team members that are very like analytical and scientific about how we go about doing things. I've learned a lot from that because they're like, Hey, if we do so many things all at the same time, we're doing nothing well. So what if we do less things and do those better and go deeper and go less skews and deeper into those skews? And instead of having like 900 different styles, like what if we have 50 different styles and we focus instead of having 10 black colors on aprons, let's have two. And that idea has really resonated with me because I'm seeing it in the flesh with my team and the output that they have. When they're not doing as much, they're doing less, a lot better. Yeah. There are two like lessons in my life that have always stuck with me. And one is like, like cliche lines, like the like bumper sticker level of cheesiness, but leave things better than you <laughs> found them. People with places, with yeah. everything like that's something I live by. And with, I think what you're talking about is like, whatever you do, do it well. And that's probably yeah. doing less. And my, I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast, but for some reason, I feel like I want to tell you my family, when I grew up, my uncle owned three Arby's restaurants oh, <laughs> and man. they sold one of them and they tried to make their own concept. This is like when I was a kid and they named yeah. it after my grandpa. His name was Gus. And so it was called Augie's and it was going to be a chicken place. Cause it was like at the height of like chicken places being popular. Yeah. So they like yeah. saw a need, but at this chicken place, we also had like Greek food and we had like, it was like everything <laughs> you could ever imagine. Yeah. And my, my boyfriend at the time, I guess I wasn't a kid. I guess I was in like high school or college. He was a graphic designer and made these cool stickers. And we had like, it was just a hodgepodge of things, which is so like I come from those people, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've always done that in my work and the place closed in like, I don't know, like three months or something, you know, like it just of course right. didn't work because it was so many things. And so that exactly what you're talking about. It's like do a couple things, but do them really well. And I think if Augie's had like focused on like, we are the best chicken and we have like one yeah. other thing, you know, it might've had a shot. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard when you want to do everything, but you kind of like, are you going to kill yourself? along like are you going to end up killing the business or the thing before you get to where you want to go because you're trying to swallow the world in one gulp yeah definitely. you just can't can't do it and if you feel like you are doing it you got to take a pause and say okay let's reassess let's readjust and pivot and I think that's a really important part of my journey is just being willing to adjust course when things are no longer working anymore is so important and just say, okay, 
I didn't do that right. How can I do it differently now? Cool. I'm going to try again tomorrow. And then you try and you try and you try. Yeah. And I think the quicker you can get to that trying, I heard someone say, fail fast. Like I think failing, learning and coming, trying again, if you can get that time to be quicker, mm-hmm. the better you know that is for things. And sometimes you can't, but I think that that's why having other people around is is really useful. And, and one of my favorite parts of your book actually was when you talked about finding your collaborators. And there's this scene where you all rented a house together where you went for the weekend to brainstorm and talk and work. And I really loved that. Can you talk about that experience? And I told a couple of my friends who do similar things to me about that and sent them a photo of that page because I would actually love to do that with some people. And so I would love to hear about it. And then also if you have any advice to offer for doing that. Yeah. It was two friends of mine and we went and rent, like one of them said, Hey, I'm renting a house. You guys want to come? And I said, absolutely. I'll cook. And then the other one has a paper company and she said, great, I'll bring all the paper supplies and pens and notepads and post-its and whatever. And the three of us got together and we kind of just like dumped all of our marbles on the table and said, here's life. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working in our business. Here's the goals that we have. And we kind of collectively were able to brainstorm and also kind of call bullshit on stuff. If, if we were saying, well, this isn't working and they're like, well, that's because you're doing this and that doesn't make sense. Like, why are you doing it that way? And so helping kind of keep each other accountable led us to, we, I think we've done it now two or three times consecutively throughout the years, like at the beginning of the year. And it's just so important that you find people you can be really candid with and share that stuff with and learn how to get better because that's really what we were doing. It was getting better together and saying, I don't know if I'm doing this right. How are you doing it? Can I learn from you? And then someone saying, yep, you can. And each one of those girls had companies at different sizes than the other. And so we we were at different stages learning what was next, what was coming and how to prepare for that. And that's important. Part of the growing, it's part of the no ego. It's a part of just like being willing to learn. Yeah. I love that you still do it. That's that's really cool. I really want to do it. I think I'm going to do it with some friends. Yeah, and and you know, if you are like, "Oh, I can't even I'm not going to I don't have, you know, resources or whatever to get an Airbnb." It doesn't actually matter. It's just like pick a backyard mm-hmm. and spend the entire day dedicated to this one conversation which is around business or dreams or things you're trying to accomplish and set some milestones that you then can come back later and say, how are we doing with this? Did you get to it? Are you doing it? And and that accountability is pretty major. Do you think the number three people is important? I, my friend and I are, are, we house sit for someone in the neighborhood and we're going to be house sitting for him soon. And I, her and I planned on doing this, but I'm curious if, you know, having more than two people do it and, and that number of three, not being too big, not being too small. Do you think that that's part of the success? I think you could add a couple more people on, but you just want to make sure that everybody involved is willing to listen, willing to collaborate, 
has no ego in anything and is actually going to share knowledge and be very candid about their setup, business ideas, et cetera. You don't want anybody that is like closed to the chest about stuff because the beauty in this is that we are all pouring out all the marbles onto the table and saying, here's my weaknesses. Here's my strengths. Here's what's working. Here's not what's working. Mm -hmm. So do each of you kind of take a turn doing that? And then the other provides feedback and thought starters, and then you take turns and the other, you know, focuses on them and then exactly okay yep and we're making we're making lists on big giant post-its on the wall saying here's the action items for this company versus that company and what are things you're going to do or change or try differently and you walk away with like a to-do list you don't you don't just talk to talk you put actionables behind it and that is the part that at the end of the day is a little bit dream first details later you are saying I'm going to go try this. I don't know if it's going to work, but damn it, I'm going to try. And the trying is where you learn. So getting opportunities to try is like invaluable. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to, speaking of trying, I'm going to try it. I'll let you know. Yes, You got to try it. You got to do it. Yeah. Well, this has been really great. I want to ask you the rapid fire questions. I ask everyone and I have some other longer ones that I sneak into here. Okay. Ready? (laughs) Ready. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Ooh, I've eaten in the last week. Okay. We're just running through the different meals that I've had. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Clam chowder from this really fantastic restaurant called Found Oyster. Oh, I love it there. Oh my God. It's so good. Found Oyster is the jam. Yeah. Ah. We didn't get the clam chowder though, but we had a lot of oysters. It is legit. Wow. Now I'm craving oysters and clam chowder. <laughs> yeah, that that definitely. Well, okay. I'm I'm new to LA. I mean, I've been here a year, but I feel like I'm even newer because everything was closed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are some of your favorite places here, places that you really miss food-wise or just in general? I love mini kebab in Glendale. If you haven't been, it's literally phenomenal. It's like kebabs with the most buttery rice you've ever tried in your life. And it is. I haven't, but I heard you talk about it with David Chang and clocked it. (laughs) Yes, we went on a tear. I learned about mini kebab through David. And then I went and I was like, this is insanity. It's so good. So I love mini kebab. I love John and Vinny's Fusili pasta. I love Cassia on the West side, uh, which is like a really delicious kind of Asian Thai restaurant, but beautifully executed. I'm a humongous fan of Sonora town in downtown LA, which is a taco spot and they make their flour tortillas from scratch and they're so delicious. And then I also love like Barama for their queso. They're my mother would kill me for saying queso that way, but queso for their queso. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's really, really fantastically like proper Tex-Mex queso and it's unbelievable. So you got to go there too. Mm, thank you. That's so exciting. Yeah. Do you have a favorite eating or dining experience in your life of anywhere you've ever traveled or eaten mm. or at home? Okay. I want, the one that came to mind was I was in Oaxaca two years ago with John and Vinny and Bricia, who John and Vinny have a bunch of restaurants in LA, one called John and Vinny's. They also have Animal and Son of a Gun. 
And then Bricia Lopez, who has Galagetza, which is an incredible Oaxacan restaurant. We all went together to Oaxaca on a culinary adventure. And we went to this spot in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by just shrubs and greenery. And it was an outdoor kitchen where you sat next to all of the kitchens. But the kitchen was actually just these big giant squares with tons of leña, or in this case, like charcoal with giant vats and pots of food on top of the charcoal. And they were making everything by wood fire. And there were no walls. It was just a roof. And the food was being grown like five feet away. And so it was coming out of the ground. It was being cooked by these like artisanal women that just knew how to make food the way that their grandmas had made food. And then we were eating it and the tortillas were being made right there and the roosters were crowing. And I just, oh my God, I would love to go back there. It was the most spectacular meal I think I've ever had. And I've eaten a lot of really wonderful food. I've been very lucky to, but that was mind blowing because it wasn't about how it looked. It wasn't some fancy setup, but it, the way they made you feel at home and how delicious and heart warming the food was, it was just like your grandma, everyone's grandma was right there just cooking for you. Wow. That sounds incredible. Yeah, it was fantastic. What is your favorite food or a food that you eat a lot or make for yourself a lot? Maybe like a go-to breakfast or snack or something you ate a lot during the pandemic when you were home? Oh. I'm like ruthless with spaghetti and meatballs or spaghetti bolognese. I just, I can't get enough of it. I love it so much. I also really love shepherd's pie and lasagna. I'm, it's a funny thing that when you work in fine dining, all you want to do is eat really homey food because you're so busy making everything very perfect that you just want to go home and have like a bowl of kale salad or a bowl of pasta or a bowl of soup. And so I like food that makes me feel at home. Mm, I love that. I want to talk to you a little bit about productivity and how you structure your days. And I know you're in the midst of a book tour now, but I'd love to know, you know, I'm sure it changed with the pandemic, but just give us a, you know, a picture of like what time you wake up and what, how do you move through your day? What time do you rest and stop for the day? I usually get up around seven ish, seven, seven 30. And I end up just going through my schedule from bed, seeing what do I have? Elliot will text me. Here's what's going on. And I'll usually have like a call or a zoom or something by eight, eight 30. And then I have a daily check-in with my, my entire core team at 9am where we do like a rapid fire around the room and say, it takes us 10 minutes. There's six people on the call, seven people. And we say, what are, we call them rocks or sand. We say, what rocks are we working on versus the sand that fills up your day, but doesn't get anything done. So you got to call out what rocks are you going to work on that day? And somewhere in between that, I will, you know, see my husband and our pet pig and our chickens, and somebody will feed the chicken. Somebody will feed the pig. And it's like a little bit of a farm farm vibe in that sense. And then I'll, I'll run to the kitchen and grab either like a piece of fruit and then I'll take vitamins. I take a whole plethora of, of vitamins and I pour things into my water and I'm just like trying to be as healthy as I can. Then I jump in my car, usually take a call from the car on my way to the office. 
I get to the Headley and Bennett factory, which is in downtown LA. And then my assistant Elliot meets us, meets me outside. And he's like, here's your shake. Here's where we're headed into first. He hands me the piece of paper. That's like, this is the brief for this meeting. And then you're literally off to the races. It's like meeting after meeting after decision meeting, we kind of call out the types of meetings we have. So you're not just talking about talking. So it's like, okay, you have a decision meeting, you have a priorities meeting, you have a team huddle. So I do that's a really good idea. Yeah. 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 You want to like call out what's the purpose of gathering, not just, okay, let's talk about it. And when you end the meeting, you want to end with like, what are, what are the actionables? What, what are next steps and who's going to hold that accountable? So that that's kind of like the stack of the day and it varies what types of things I'm doing, but then there's content for Instagram or I'm talking to the marketing team or I'm going to a photo shoot to see what they're working on. But the irony is my job has changed a lot from being the one doing all the work to now the one ensuring that we have the right resources for the team members, that we have the right team members in place, that we need to hire more people or that we need, it's like a different world that I'm still learning how to be a part of versus like the doer of everything. Yeah. I love that. One of my favorite parts of the book is when you say there aren't bumps in the road, it's just the road. Can you talk about how you came to that conclusion, especially hearing about how structured your days are? I'm sure there's twists in your plan. Oh yeah. All the time. So many twists, so (laughs) many twists. For me, the the dream first details later part does come into play a lot. And just like they're not bumps in the road, they are the road really heavily happens every day. Like you are, even if I have an Elliot delivering a smoothie in the morning, because he's just like that kind of a person, I haven't even really said I need that, but he's like, here's your smoothie. 10 minutes later, he's got a schedule for me that's so tight. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God. We just had a disaster in supply chain. You need to drop everything and go into that meeting. And I'm like, Elliot, I'm sorry, I got to go. And he's like, wait, I have a whole day planned out for you. What do you mean you got to go? And then I got to go deal with that. Or something will happen where somebody is actually, they're not working effectively and they need help and they're overwhelmed and they're saying they're overwhelmed. And so it's like, okay, let's loop in people ops and how can we get you know some more support? Can we reprioritize what's happening in their area? Or like, okay, sales went adjusted because we sold out of a product. Okay. Well, what, why did we sell out of that product? And then having to just firefight and, and adapt to it all the time is just like, it's part of the journey. And so if you're expecting perfection, you're just going to let yourself down all the time because you think you have this list and you're going to stick to the list. And next thing you know, you did 20 other things that had nothing to do with your list because life happened. And that's, that's what (laughs) they're not bumps in the road. They are the road mean and shit storms are part of everybody's journey. They are not exclusive to anyone. We all have them. And just because you don't see it on Instagram or you don't hear it out in the world doesn't mean they're not happening. So please, please, please don't ever compare yourself to others because you have no idea what kind of gnarly circumstances they actually have happening behind the scenes even if they paint their life to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. I I love that because it's it's just part of it, you know? Like there's never going to be a time where everything, you know, feels correct or feels perfect or I feel the most grounded. Like, and, and I think my waiting for that or searching for that or us all doing that, whether mm-hmm. it's holistically or in the day, we're going to miss it. 
you know, we're going to miss what's in front of us. That's literally exactly right. And that's why instead of saying work-life balance, I use words like synergy and how to adapt because you just need to recognize that it's hard sometimes to balance certain things. And so how do you just find ways to align your life in a, in a, a sense that gives you like more productivity or more rest when you need it? Yeah. What's your greatest lesson on creativity? Mm, that it is the most beautiful gift. It is the thing that you created out of thin air. Like creativity comes from your mind and from inspiration. And you've got to fill that tank. You got to find ways to just take a beat so that you can have more creativity. And when I, you know, was working myself to the bone, it's hard to be creative because you're exhausted. And that's why you got to sleep enough. That's why you got to take vitamins. That's why you got to actually like, you know, maybe instead of having a glass of wine every night, maybe only have it on the weekends because hangovers suck, you know, like just whatever you got to do to give yourself the space to have those fun ideas come to life. Like you do you, but it is beautiful and it is priceless. And for all the money in the world and the processes, nothing replaces the creativity of somebody. And that's something that we all have within us and it's a gift. So tap into it. Love that. Greatest lesson on friendship. Mm, you gotta, you gotta water the trees. You gotta water the flowers. You, friendship is, it grows or it shrinks and you need to put the time in and be proactive about it and show up. And, and that's kind of one of the big lessons I learned in COVID. It's like, who do you really value? Who do you really love? Who fills your tank and whose tank can you fill? And you can't do it for everyone. So who are you going to choose so that you have like genuine friendships that you, that are there for you through thick and thin, instead of having like a thousand acquaintances that are just like, Hey, so great to see you. How's everything good. You know, that's not, that's not genuine the way like a true friendship is. So if you love somebody as a friend, like show up for them and call them and be proactive and text them and, and spend the time that you have with people like that, instead of trying to spend your time with everybody at everybody's wedding. Yeah. Speaking of weddings, what's your greatest lesson on romantic love? Mm, I would say similar. You've got to, you got to nurture it. You got to spend time on it. And my husband and I actually work together now and we've had to kind of carve out like, Hey, we're going to go on a walk and we're not going to talk about work. We're going to spend us time together, not work time together. And making space for your co-pilot is so, so, so key. So really learning and leaning into that a lot. I heard you say you got married in Mexico. What was your wedding like? It's very colorful. And it was more like a culinary adventure where we happened to be getting married. But um, fun. Yeah, it was awesome. And I think if, if my wedding dress sums it up, I, I think like it you was half yellow, half white. <laughs> so just, you know, as, as unique as we, as we could make it, we just showed up and said, we're going to make people feel like they're coming on a big adventure to Mexico City. It just happened to be 250 people. So it was like we were taking 250 people on a tour of Mexico City as if it were two people. And that, that was so really fun. fun. Yeah. Dude. yeah. That sounds yeah. amazing. It was so fun. 
What is your favorite part of your life right now? My favorite part of my life right now is this just like realization of how important team is and how I'm giving them space to actually do what they need to do. And I wasn't always that way because I didn't really actually know how to manage people effectively. And now getting to see them bloom and blossom and having people that are so different from me and they're not, you know, they're not all science, they're not all art, but it's a combination. And it's a beautiful gift to wake up every morning and get to work on a dream that I had nine years ago and have it still, still be there and to get to shift and alter its course every day, but not just by myself, but with a whole team of people. Mm, I love that. You obviously have a really big following on social media and you're a public person. And with that community and, and eyes on you, how does that affect your mental health? And and I'd love to hear, you know, how your thoughts on social media and what your relationship is to it. I definitely have a love-hate relationship with with social media because it's just doomsday for comparison. No matter how good you're doing, you can f- find yourself going into like a black hole and being like, wait, how'd that happen? What did they do? When did that occur? And that feeling of FOMO is just so like silly. And so I definitely kind of recognize that feeling in me sometimes. And I just, I have to put the phone down and I say, that's not, if you're not feeling good on your own terms, you should not be inside of any app. You should be out in the world and doing something about it. You should be going on a walk. You should be exercising. Like that's going to fix your demeanor, not staring at Instagram being like, why did that opportunity happen? Oh my gosh, we're behind blah, blah, blah. So I, I definitely carve myself out of there if I feel myself going down that, that path. And I would say it's definitely like, as the business has grown, I recognize that I have a lot more responsibility, not just with my community, but with my own team, they have families, they have kids. And so the decisions, there's a lot more at stake. And so I take things a lot more, um, not, not seriously in a bad way, but more just like recognition of what is here. And every day I need to wake up and, and earn it and not just like sit on my laurels and be like, Oh, cool. We did this. It's like, no, 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 no. One thing is to become successful. Another thing is to maintain success and to evolve and to grow and to continue to push forward. And when you get somewhere, get to the next somewhere. And so I, I'm always striving to get to the next somewhere and never feeling like I've made it. I don't ever feel that, that way at all. I'm like, I'm so grateful and I've worked my ass off, but that doesn't mean that what I have today couldn't go away tomorrow. And if that happens, I'm going to have to create it again. And, and that is just the cycle of life. I mean, look at COVID. It destroyed so many things and yet we're still standing. And so it's just like acknowledging what you have, recognizing when you make mistakes and move forward no matter what. Well said. I had this post-it that I put up in my apartment in Brooklyn and I forgot about it until you said that, but I was really going through it then with social with Instagram specifically. And I, I was like... When you're feeling down, don't turn here. Like, don't go there. Yeah. And with that, where do you turn when you are having a shitty day or you don't feel good about yourself or you're down? What are some things you do to lift you back up? 
Yeah, I definitely have cultivated a group of people that are friends of mine that are either in similar shoes where they're running a business and they have understanding of what's going on and can be like, "Mm, no, you need to stop whining about that. That's actually not that bad. Just, you know, do this instead. My coach, right? The leadership coach I told you about, she can tell it to me straight and also call something out if I'm worried about the wrong thing. Might spend actually talking about it with my husband and getting it off my chest. And and basically all the people that I just mentioned are people that listen really well. So identify people in your life that listen really well and acknowledge what you're saying and don't just like say, well, you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. Like sometimes I learned this from my very calm husband. Sometimes you just need somebody to listen to you. You don't need them to give you advice. You just want them to listen. And so talk to people who listen, get it out. And I highly, highly suggest exercise of any kind because when you feel down, and you move your body and you get outside and you look at the sky and you look at the clouds and you look at the trees, you're like, Hey, shit, life is actually pretty beautiful. I need to, you know, move forward. And it, it tends to snap me out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It gets you in, into your body. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been so much fun. I, I have two final questions. I would love to know what a dinner party with you looks like. So (laughs) if you were hosting one, I'm curious what would be your go-to thing to make? Maybe some people you'd invite. And then if you're attending one, what do you bring? What is your go-to on your way picking up? I don't know. Maybe it's a baguette. Maybe it's a bottle of natural wine. Maybe it's a tinned fish. I'm so curious. (laughs) I actually usually bring eggs from the ladies, the chickens. Oh, everybody loves fresh homemade eggs in this case. So I'll bring like, you know, eight or 10 eggs in a little container with a little napkin, like a linen napkin. And people love that. Um, Yeah. And if I have a dinner party or have people over, I never have everything ready when they arrive. If anything, they walk in I throw Headley and Bennett aprons on them so that they can feel legit and proper. And I make everybody cook with me, whether or not they cook. And if someone is like very adverse to cooking, they're very scared of it. I'll just make them, you know, do drinks or something, but everybody's involved. And I find that it's really fun because in that way, people aren't just like standing around being like, what do we do now? It's interactive and shields go down. People just become themselves because they don't have time to worry about anything. They're just like cutting the onion or doing what they got to do. So I love doing that when I'm having a dinner party. And typically it'll be heavily centered around food I get from the farmer's market. So right now it's like peaches and nectarines and tomatoes are really beautiful. And so I had some people over last week and they were like, we want to cook. We don't want it to be like super fancy or proper. So we ended up make, getting a bunch of stuff from the farmer's market and did like a big giant salad. We did a big kale salad. We did like a tomato mozzarella peach salad. We put um, some sausages on the Traeger grill. We made some pasta. We made some marinara sauce from the market. And it just was this like hodgepodge of fresh juicy, delicious ingredients that turned into kind of like a California inspired Italian meal. Oh my God. That sounds incredible. Yeah. 
it was fun. It was. Really I really fun. love that about. That's what I used to do all summer. Like I would just go to the farmers market every Sunday and buy like whatever looked good, and then I would come home with like so much stuff and have no idea what to do. And I would like go to my friend who happens to be a, a chef, and I would be like, "This is what I got. What do I do?" To be like, "All right." you're going to do this. You're going to, she was in New York and she was bored and she would like FaceTime me and like, I'm, I'm so bad at cooking, but then I would have all my friends over. But this, I wish I had spoken to you back then because I would get really stressed out and like not very fun to be around and like trying to rush and get it all done. Cause I was like, I'd never had a dinner party in my life. Not that these were parties, yeah. but like yeah. I'd never cooked for people before COVID. And then I, like that about not having to have it all done and just be I thought it was like bad to ask people to help like I I it sounds fun it's very dream first details later totally here's the ingredients let's figure it out as we're all here together and I don't know what we're gonna make but we're gonna collaborate and land on something awesome yeah I love that that sounds fun we should have (laughs) dinner together (laughs) should definitely have dinner together this has been a treat thank you so much for having me I love Loved chatting with you today and, and yeah, for everybody out there, like come follow, follow the adventures and say hi on Instagram on, at Ellen Marie Bennett and Headley and Bennett and uh, definitely snag an apron and our book on headleyandbennett.com. Yes, definitely. So the name of this podcast is Let It Out. So when I offer that to you, is there anything else that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about? or something that not a lot of people know about you that you want to let out and share? (laughs) I will let out my deep, deep, deep obsession with lasagna. That's all I want. It's all I want all the time. And I got to pace myself on it. It gets a little crazy, but (laughs) I'll let that out at the end. But no, you've You've done an amazing job of of asking so many different questions from, from so many different vantage points. It's been really, really fun. I so enjoyed this. Oh, good. Well, we always end with letting out a deep breath together. So, okay, let's do it. Inhale, let it out. (sighs) Thank you so much, Ellen. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you, Katie. Have an amazing weekend. Okay, that was my conversation with Ellen Bennett of Headley and Bennett. She wrote the book Dream First, Details Later get yourself a hard copy. I loved it. She's so bright and shiny and I really enjoyed speaking with her and I hope that you do too. Thank you for being here. Like I said, at the top of the show, a couple spots left. If you want to do consulting with me, no pressure. Leaving a review is great. If you have a second, follow me and let it out on Instagram and Ellen and Headley and Bennett if you'd like. And what we do here is at the end of the show, we pick an emoji to let us know that you're listening all the way to the end. So if you are, thank you. It means so much. It means so, so much that you're here. So the emoji for this week's episode is the pig because Ellen has a pig, which is a really cool pet. You could also do an egg because she has chickens um, or a chicken. Comment that in my Instagram, on Ellen's Instagram to let us know you're listening all the way to the end. So grateful you're here. Lots of great guests coming up this season and I will talk to you soon.